IB Teacher, IB Talk. teacher IB Talk. IB Teacher Talk. On the surface level, um, my intent had always been to be a rock star. <laughs> no way. No way. Rachel, what's our objective for this interview with David Schneer? Schneer is bilingual, and I'm really interested to see how he deals with raising a child who will be bilingual, and also how he deals with bilingual students in his classroom. It's time for IB Teacher Talk. I'm Rachel, and I'm fantastic. How about you, Dan? I'm also fantastic, perhaps less fantastic than you today, because you seem like you're on fire. (laughs) My name's Daniel Lambert, and we are here today with... I'm not sure what to call you. Do I call you David Schneer? Do I call you David? Or do I, do I just call you Schneer? This is always a test that I give to people. I'll let you choose, and then I'll make it a judgment about your choice later. Okay, Schneer. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I am neither on fire nor fantastic, but I did notice the alliteration and which wish that I were fantastically on fire. Um, what was the question? <laughs> Um, uh, my name is David Schneer. Uh, I have been teaching in, uh, uh, let's say, I'll be, I've been teaching abroad since 1996, which is when I left America. Most of that has been in international schools. However, I did do a long stint in Japan, a total of 14 years, uh, where I started off uh, teaching at what would probably be translated as a vocational school for English. And then I was in a, uh, a Japanese high school, private high school, that specialized in teaching languages. We taught English, Korean, and Russian. So you specifically are an English, but also a second language teacher. I certainly don't teach Russian. <laughs> Can, do you know any Russian? Yet. <laughs> that means no in Russian, Rachel. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> the other wash- Russian word I know is babushka. And that's really? About it. I, think, um, I think I know some from the show Americans. Oh, yeah. Spicy bum. I think that means thank you. And I just remember it because it sounds like spicy bum. Spasiba. <laughs> Can we go to the next question? I feel uncomfortable. Da. Your question was, what subjects do I teach, I think? I teach um, English language acquisition and also English language and literature. And because I know you personally, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into this direction, but... You are bilingual, and you raise your son in a bilingual household, and I know you're pretty strict with the language rules. Can you tell us a little bit about why you do that? Yes. Um, for, a, uh, for quite a while, I was um, the head of department of a mother tongue program at an international school here in Singapore, and I learned quite a bit about um, mother tongue and bilingual education. And um, I think it's an assumption that a lot of uh, parents make, um, especially when they when when they are living in a when they're married to somebody that speaks another language than themselves, is that their children will naturally organically evolve into bilingual speakers. Um, and I I think we you you probably seen this too. There's just uh, there's there's so many cases of kids growing up in a multilingual household where they do not really become functional bilinguals. And so as soon as my son was born, um, I thought, okay, I want to bring in my my educational background and my reading here and apply some of these rules to make it as uncomfortable and an unnatural family environment (laughs) as as possible. And I have to say that um, my son is bilingual and I have been successful in creating an uncomfortable, unnatural family (laughs) environment with our strict language rules. Well done, David. Uh, I have um, studied a little bit about mother tongue and I was told by a reliable source, which I won't quote. If you are learning English as a second language, it's essential for you to keep up with your mother tongue or it will actually inhibit your progression in English. 
Is that correct? My my wife is Japanese, um, and we my wife and I are both bilingual. We both speak in English and Japanese, um, and it's particularly more difficult um, to raise a child when you're when they um, are coming. From a background of an East Asian language as well as English, it would it, it wouldn't be as difficult if it were French and English, um, and so we had to be very intentional about some of uh, some of our, the rules in the family. And when I say we, I really mean me. Do you have any advice for parents, perhaps, or teachers who are trying to raise kids in bilingual households? Yes, set up rules as soon as they are born. So that it becomes part of the natural natural family ecosystem. Some of the things that we do, for example, is we we have um, we have rules that we have maintained um, about who speaks what language and when. The, and the the objective is always to try to create a balance of language um, input and output. And so my son, um, he will only speak Japanese to his mother, and he will only speak English to me. And he's been doing that ever since he was born. Well, of course, he wasn't speaking when he was born, but when he got to the age where he could speak, um, this is the pattern that he followed. I think those are really important rules, though, because you know from your education that these things help them become bilingual. I saw this with my daughter when we lived in Korea. When I spoke Korean to her, she would not speak Korean back, but she would answer to other people that were Korean. Yeah, and there's a reason for that when it comes to that, you know, the, the strong parent-child relationship. It's in this is something that we were talking about before we got on air about how strongly uh, language is connected to identity and and culture. Mm -hmm. And so one of the reasons that um, your daughter has a hard time speaking to you in a language other than um, English is because. It's not just the English language. English is mommy, right? And right. for my kid, English is daddy. And when I go to Japanese, it's kind of like I'm putting on a different identity and changing, changing linguistic clothes, and it just throws his world into a, it's a off balance. Yeah. Schneer, can you please tell us how you got into teaching? I knew from a young age that I was going to be a teacher, that I wanted to. I don't know if I wanted to be a teacher. I just kind of knew somewhere deep down inside, I think, a deep dark place that I was going to be a teacher. Um, on the surface level, um, my intent had always been to be a rock star. And um, I, I got very, very serious about guitar when I was in middle school. Then when I was in high school, I moved to Hollywood, California. And I had no, after I graduated high school, I had no intention of going to university. Um, I just wanted to live in, in LA and try to make it as a rock star. I take it that you didn't make it. <laughs> I'd like to term it as a, f I am a failed rock star, I think, if I'm being honest. Is that on your CV? I, I think the advice is to try to leave words like failure off of CVs. Oh, okay. yeah, oh, yeah, it just doesn't attract the right, the right organization. I'm making note, thank you. Yeah, write that down for sure. So you're really interested in language. Why is language the best subject? Um, well, really, if you look at math and science, where has it gotten us in the world? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> nowhere. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, it's, it's, I, I think I'd have a hard time answering that question. It's just something that uh, I love, and it's, um, I get very excited about whether we're, we're approaching it from a language standpoint or a lit standpoint or mixing the two. Um, it's just something that comes natural to me, and I, and I, love, uh, I love being part of that on a daily basis. 
Is there anything that you would like to change about the subject or subjects that you teach? I think my students probably deserve a better teacher. <laughs> How about as far as the curriculum is concerned? <laughs> <laughs> One of the issues that I've had working in, in IB schools for so long is um, I just wish the IB were a lot more invested in the fostering of home languages and or mother tongue. On one level, in international schools, I do see a, um, a lot of teachers um, with a strong cultural awareness and appreciation of their students, but um, I don't know how much mother tongue or, or home language is being used in the classrooms, and this is the idea of translanguaging um, that uh, has, has become um, so hot recently with Garcia's work. And that's just simply making making use of uh, the students' home language in the classroom and getting them to switch back and forth a bit um, between English, if we're, if we're in an English medium school, and their home language, and use those in classroom activities. Schneer, can you just clarify who Garcia is? Yeah. Um, I, Orphelia, I, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, Garcia has done a lot of work. Um, it, she's based out of New York, I believe, and she's done a lot of work in translanguaging and um, has been kind of, uh, it's been, which has been a hot topic in um, second language acquisition and foreign language teaching and English language teaching in the past, what, five, ten years? Um, and she makes a distinction. I won't get too much into the linguistics, but she does make a distinguish, uh, distinction between code switching, which is just quickly switching between languages or vernacular systems. Um, and she sees translanguaging as uh, kind of moving more fluidly between two languages in order to uh, strengthen both of the languages. Do you see that there's perhaps something of a paradox where we have these international schools and we end up basically anglicizing all of our students and taking away the elements that make them international? I don't know if I'd use the word anglicizing just because it means making them English. Um, but <laughs> yeah, your point, <laughs> your point is well taken. It is something odd across the world. Um, you know, where we get into an international, an English medium international school, and we have this collection in our classroom of students who come from such a rich background, right? Um, like in my class now at the, the international school that I teach in, there's probably two kids in each class who are monolingual English speakers, right? And the rest of them um, are bilingual or multilingual. And so there is a, there's certainly a, a paradox there where we standardize our students, and that's really what translanguaging um, addresses is utilizing all of, those, all of those different linguistic systems within our class, which are connected to different cultural identities and drawing upon those with, within a class rather than just keeping it strictly homogenous uh, in, one, in one language. Schneer, could you possibly tell us what you think makes a good administrator or leader? Well, first, I think that we have to distinguish the terms, uh, be the difference between an administrator and a leader, and even throw in manager there. Um, an administrator is really just somebody that is getting getting things done, and we're talking about systemically, right, in the system and policy and just get, getting things done. That's how I would define an administrator. But a leader, a leader is, is somebody that is really bringing a department or a school somewhere. In order to have a leader, a good leader in education, which, goodness gracious, man, there, are, there is such a deficit there, I think. Um, you need, you have to have 
people who have vision. You have to have somewhere for them to be leading. You, yep, and that's what vision is, right? It, you're seeing where you you are going, and you have to, um, and you have to have a clear, clear, clearish directions. And that doesn't mean that it, it that that has to stem from one person. In fact, I would argue that if it is stemming from one person and not drawing upon the members of the department or the school, then it's going to be a flawed direction that you're going in. And once the vision is there. Um, how are you encouraging people? Because this is really what a good leader does is a, a good leader is bringing out the best in the people in that organization. Um, and also it's about talent management. And this is one of the, the things that I have noticed working in schools is that um, often, I mean, you must have noticed this, right? In the schools that you've worked in, you are working with people who have this vast array of experience and expertise and skills the leaders in the school often are unaware of, mm. of these and they don't, um, uh, to use a bit of a crass term, they don't, don't exploit those. They don't use those skills or those expertise or that experience in order to benefit the school. It almost sounds like you're telling us that to be a good leader, you have to also understand a good teacher. Yeah, yeah. You need your clear objective. Uh, you right. need to differentiate for your different students, so yeah, on and so no, forth. I see what you're doing there. Okay, yeah, yeah. that was clever. Huh? It, it was. <laughs> it was. Tok. Tok. Theory of knowledge. Theory of knowledge is a really interesting class, and we always like to discuss it with our guests. This has been a public service announcement from the <laughs> Tok specialist, specifically IB teacher talk. No, um, Schneer. Would you like to ask us an IB TOK question today, or can we ask you a TOK question? Well, thank you, Rachel, for giving me that opportunity. <laughs> you know, I've noticed throughout uh, my career <laughs> in different schools. So you're going to ask us one? I was going to let you use your inferencing skills. Okay, to I'll inference. Thank you. <laughs> you've probably noticed uh, throughout the different schools that you've been at that students in TOK classes don't always um, take to it or appreciate the class. And... The question is, why do I have to take TOK, students ask. So th that's what I am going to ask you when you consider that. How relevant is TOK um, to a secondary education, to a DP education? How important is it? I love this. This is a great question. As a TOK teacher, I am very passionate about TOK, and I think that it's important for us to be explicit with the students that we are giving them tools to recognize their knowledge when we teach TOK, I think that we need to point out that we are telling them how they can justify what they know and how they can examine other areas of their knowledge, right? A student would say then, well, why? Why is that? Why do I have to justify what I, what I know? I just know it. I just read it. I just saw it. I saw it with my own eyes. But you're speaking TOK language right there. So if we give them the tools to recognize that TOK is already a part of their education, they can then say, when I see something, I'm using my senses, I'm using my perception. And then they can justify their knowledge to people instead of sounding like they're just rambling or babbling on, they can justify their knowledge in a very succinct way. Can I just suggest something perhaps a little bit revolutionary? Go. If there is, we do suggest in the IB that every teacher is a TOK teacher. Mm. If every teacher actually did have a firm grasp on the elements of TOK and could teach it in their class effectively, perhaps we wouldn't have a need for the class itself. Ah, that is revolutionary, but one that appeals to me. How would you envision that happening? I think that as many TOK teachers would say, Rachel, I hope you would agree, uh, uh, subject teachers should be incorporating TOK questions and reasoning 
in in their subject the teaching of the content if we can do that effectively in all the subjects then the whole concept of TOK is taken away from this special class that feel, students feel that they forced to do or dragged through and it would hopefully become a little bit more of an, an organic element of the learning. Well, I think that's enough of an impetus for me to um, start using more TOK <laughs> in my class. Right. Suddenly I feel guilty. Well, no, it's okay. I've heard, I've literally heard teachers say, this is difficult, this is hard. They don't realize they're already using yeah. TOK and the, the theory of knowledge, like epistemology and philosophy in their classroom to justify what they're doing with their content. We just have to give them the tools to recognize this language and to see how it connects to their content. And I think if the teachers are saying that, I think that we really need to be aware of how the students are, preaching, uh, are feeling about it. Yeah, I agree. I like that. I, I worked with a teacher last year who had at the front of his classroom, very in very big font, um, how do you know, written across, uh, written across the front of the classroom. And I think that's a, a really good place to start with everything. Book reviews. Book reviews. Book reviews. Schneer, do you have a book that you'd like to introduce to our listeners? Um, there's, I, I've just started reading a book by Kevin Kelly, who is an, the editor for Wired, uh, Wired magazine, and I'm, I am really, really uh, interested in futurism and, and advances of technology, and that's what he's writing about. He's writing about what will be taking place, uh, what's going to happen um, in the future, and it's... Uh, it's very systematic the way that he 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 enumerates like ten points. Um, some what does he call it like uh, flowing and uh, but he has ten ten uh, present progressive verbs I guess that he uses to talk about the changes that are happening, and that we have very limited control over. Artificial intelligence, of course, is a part of this. So I recommend that one. Um, it's just fascinating to read. What was the book? The, the author was Kevin the in, Kelly. The, the Inevitable, I think, is, is what it's, it's called. David Schneer, thank you so much for sitting with us today and discussing with us English and second language. We've really appreciated your time. Is there a gift voucher involved in this? No, this was voluntary. But thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Thanks, guys. It's been a real pleasure uh, being here, and I've loved talking to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Rachel, that was a fascinating interview we had with David Schneer, who we like to call Schneer. What were your main takeaways from our interview? Our discussion on mother tongue and how we can acknowledge our students as bilingual speakers and help them in our classrooms, I thought that was invaluable. And that was really coming from his experience as a parent of a bilingual child. Right, but we still have to acknowledge that so many of our international kids are coming to our classroom speaking two, three, four languages, and we can help them you know, be better English speakers. Most certainly. We also discussed good administrators. David made a distinction between leaders, administrators, and managers. I thought that was really important. If we search and practice, search for and practice good leadership skills, we can be better teachers. And in turn, administrators can do the same thing. I think you made a good point about how administrators can learn from teachers, in fact. Finally, 
Our discussion on TOK was enlightening. I thought the idea that if we took out TOK from our core subjects and maybe just made a better effort to be more organic with it in our content classrooms, it might be better for everybody. I think I suggested that, but I don't want to receive any emails of hate from TOK teachers. But how do you know? I don't. <laughs> <laughs>